Here we go, Hour 3. It's Wednesday. That means our roundtable is set and ready to go. And that involves the former Premier and Finance Minister in the province of Ontario, Ernie Eves. How you doing, Ernie? I'm doing great, John. Go Leafs, go. Yeah, I guess. Hey, it's a race to 10. Uh, what, what happens, I mean, when they finally get to 10, they throw their sticks in the middle and pick new teams? So how does that work? I mean, we haven't seen days like this. I mean, they're, oh, it's unbelievable. they're lighting it up. But I mean, it's it's like hockey circa 1984, right? With the Edmonton Oilers. Just, uh, just beat the other guys, outscore them. Yeah, even though make you, sure if they get Four, you get five. They get six, you got to get seven. Well, and they have. The last two games, they've gotten seven. You know about this, don't you, Peggy? Peggy Nash is in the house. Visiting (laughs) prof at Ryerson University's (laughs) Faculty of Arts and Community Services and the former Canadian labor official and former NDP MP for Parkdale High Park. Good to have you on board as well, Peggy. Good to be here. And John Turley-Ewart, risk management consultant specializing in capital markets with extensive experience on Bay and Wall Streets. And before working in capital markets, he was the associate editor of the Financial Post and senior editor at the National Post. John, how are you doing? Uh, It's so beautiful. I think I should be on the eighth tee right now. It's just an amazing day out there. Well, you you missed your chance. I mean, I got it in earlier, but I don't know where you were. I've got to ask you, just quickly before we uh, get into the meat of other subjects here, uh, I was reading a thing. John Hondrick wrote an op-ed piece in the Toronto Star, his paper. You know him from the old days, don't you? The bowtie guy? Yeah, I know him. Okay. Well, he says newspapers should get government subsidies... Uh, and that copyright law should be amended so that newspapers would get royalty fees from story aggregators like Facebook and uh, and Google and things like that. I mean, as a former ink-stained wretch, and I mean that in the most reverential of ways, right. uh, do you think there's some merit to what he's proposing? Well, there's no merit in asking for a government subsidies. That's ridiculous. Uh, however, uh, there's no doubt that that people scoop up the stories that the, the newspapers uh, you know write, research. Uh, they do it. You know, and aggregate it, and they don't get credit for it. Uh, and what you do in the aggregation uh, business is you throw up uh, links to other stories, and then you sell advertising on your site, and that helps again pull pull money away from the newspaper. So I think there's something to be said about about that. How you would manage it, I don't know, uh, but there's something to be said about that. But certainly, it's it's really rich for uh, the Hondricks, you know, members of the one uh, percent. To be asking the other 99% to be funding his business. Uh, this was one that, remember, Harlequin was supporting it for years, uh, that they sold off that piece of it. Uh, they, they spent $200 million on an, an iPad version of their, of, their, of their newspaper, which was a disaster. Uh, look, they're just bad managers uh, in many instances. So uh, asking the public to pay for uh, their mistakes is, uh, is quite outrageous. Well, his argument seems to be one of uh, almost cultural necessity that these newspapers, 137 that he cited, have gone out of business. Small community newspapers, which are like the fabric of information. Uh, yeah, he's been putting them out of business. Uh, you know, they've been buying them up and shutting them down. Uh, they did a deal with Post Media to, uh, to do this very thing. So, you know, th- again, it is... It is um, uh, rich, to say the least, for uh, Mr. Hondrick to come forward and start asking the public to bail him out. And the other thing about it is this thing that we're so important uh, into society, people don't really get it. You know, it doesn't really resonate with them in a way that he thinks. Journalists think they're more important than they really are. And I think what's happening now is you're seeing that with the decline of, of media. But there are business models that worked, and I've talked about them here. New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, you know, these are models that work, but you have to generate the content. And I would argue that the Toronto Star doesn't generate that kind of quality content that people are willing to pay for. 
Well, they put up a paywall recently within the last couple of weeks. You think that's going to save them? It's going to be the test. So this is the test of their business model. And so they're trying to differentiate themselves on investigative reporting. Um, And I I would argue that they simply haven't got enough of it right now and quality investigative reporting. And remember, too, they come at things from a very different perspective. Uh, You know, this is, uh, you know, left, very much left of center. Uh, and, uh, you know, in some ways almost populist at times. And the question is, is there a market for that amongst folks uh, enough that they want to pay for it? I would argue no. I would say the business model in Canada that's most likely to work is the Globe and Mail right now because it's got the ROB and people are willing to pay for, for business news that it helps them make money and generate, you know, obviously stock gains. Uh, people are willing to pay for that kind of insight. They're not willing to, to pay for insight on, you know, how uh, raccoons can still, o- still open the garbage cans that Toronto uh, makes. Really? Wow. So I spent my money needlessly. Well, I think my, lots of people may be willing to pay for that. Right. Go with the idea. That is one of the pressing concerns in this city. But Peggy, as the social Democrat here on our roundtable, do you see any merit on the cultural basis of sustaining community newspapers? Now, John was indicting the Hondurex for basically buying these things and shutting them down and a bad business model of their bad managers. Do you see any... Uh, Look, people will point to the CBC and say, this is subsidized as a cultural entity, and uh, goodness knows they've stacked on all kinds of additions now, uh, like the digital universe and so on and so on. Do you think newspapers should be given a leg up? Well, he made, John Hondrick makes the point that there's 137 papers, local papers that have shut down, and some communities, uh, he, he says, now have a vacuum because they don't have any local coverage. I think there's an issue with... Um, good content and it doesn't come free that is someone's work and uh, i think there is merit around the issue of copyright that if aggregators that make big bucks on taking this contract a a content gets it for free uh, that shouldn't be that the creators of that content should be compensated it happens with artwork it happens with music it happens with all kinds of other. how would you control that john brought that up he says he doesn't know how you would control that that they would have to pay for it. I mean, there's models that you can use for that. And uh, I, I agree that the star has come late to paywalls. I mean, uh, the Globe has had paywalls for quite a while and and an app, a good app for uh, mobile content. Um, but I think there's other issues. They're, they're making the case that the federal government that spent, I think, something like uh, $36 million in advertising, which is a lot of advertising, was right. almost solely digital. Digital. And so they're saying that they should have been getting some share of that. I don't know if they should or they shouldn't, but I, I guess they're going to make that case. But the other issue, too, is that they do pay taxes locally. And the question is, if the Googles and and other uh, companies are advertising with their content in Canada, should they, they not be paying HST at a minimum? It seems really unfair that they don't do that. So I think there may be revenue models that the government can explore. They've just done some study that uh, John Hondrick cites in the article that had a, uh, several recommendations and the government hasn't acted on them. I don't know what they are, but maybe there's some good uh, recommendations there that don't just involve a straight transfer of cash to existing publications. I'd like to All see right. that. But so it's, it's far more complicated than that. I'll give you a, an example. Investigative report in the Toronto Star. CBC reads it in the paper, calls up their own sources, writes it up themselves. Have they stolen it? Do they owe the, the Toronto Star money? 
You're right. I mean, these are tough things to police. <laughs> Can I just say one thing? There's uh, been a series of investigative pieces by uh, Sarah, I'm going to mispronounce her name, Moktadeja, uh, who has done workplace reporting. And she went undercover in an unsafe workplace where a woman was killed when her hijab was pulled into a machine. She's done tremendous work. I, I mean, I think there they're may, you know, they have done some good investigative reporting. And I think... They just need to be able to capitalize more on that. I, I don't disagree with that, but the question is, the, the the kind of investigative reporting they do that you know that sort of um, you know workplace safety are there people willing to pay for that? Because the the Toronto Sun typically is is the paper that you have the blue collar worker for. I'm not exactly sure who the Toronto Star is aimed at anymore because they don't have a business section. And what they're trying to do is social progressives. Well, no, what they're trying to do is is uh, um, cut pieces out of the Wall Street Journal and sell that, which makes no sense because the Wall Street Journal is so so far to you know to the right of the Toronto Star. Uh, like I just do not see a, a business model here that I would argue uh, makes makes sense. All right, so you're saying they're brand or they're off brand, they're drifting. Uh, Ernie, I mean, did you want to weigh in on? Uh, I mean, the <laughs> I think idea a lot's that been said. Look, at, I have some sympathy for the content aspect of it, but. As John said, I don't know how you would uh, regulate it or how you would introduce it. I have zero sympathy for writing a subsidy check from the government. I mean, I just don't think that makes any sense. Okay, let me ask you, Peggy, I was kind of curious when you said this uh, undercover investigative report on workplace accidents or women in the workplace, her hijab, she was pulled into a machine. What's she doing wearing a hijab while she's operating a machine? That well, might that's, actually- a, that's a good question because she was a temp worker. She received no training. She was in a bakery, and um, and clearly was shouldn't have been using that machine, or the machine didn't have a proper guard, or she hadn't been. Tra- she clearly had not been trained, and she was killed. So uh, this reporter went undercover. She worked at this bakery for a month, and they were all temp workers. She saw many other workers who were facing similar conditions. It was a pretty horrible story well you know it brings to light this discussion that we've had earlier in the afternoon where uh doug ford has already changed the regulation so i'm told from peter tabbins he's in the legislature last hour we discussed uh no requirement for helmets for sikhs with turbans on motorcycles and so uh some people are saying well you know we're all sort of complicit in this because we'd have to pick up the health costs when somebody cracks their melon and therefore uh, we all get to weigh in and say no there's going to be on the premise of safety, one rule for all. And uh, if you want to insist on wearing a turban, don't ride a motorcycle. But Doug Ford's gone in the other direction. He's been accused of pandering to a political group. Ernie, how do you see this playing? Well, <laughs> I'm from the old school. I mean, if, if safety is the issue, then I think you can't start making exceptions. You're going to make other exceptions. Maybe another faith or background has uh, something about shoes or boots. They don't want to wear those. Um, you know, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to trivialize this. I'm just saying if safety is the main important thing, you can't have two sets of rules. It's just, I remember back to when, going way back to the uh, 80s when I was in the legislature and Diane Cunningham came forward with bicycle helmets. Before then, almost nobody wore bicycle helmets, only a very few people. And she got a lot of this, the flack for saying, well, everybody's going to have to wear a bicycle helmet from now on. It makes sense. I mean, we have a, we have a public health care system where we pick up the tab for people that aren't wearing seatbelts, aren't wearing helmets. Um, 
you know, is there some way that somebody who doesn't want to wear a helmet then gets to pick up their own tab for healthcare costs? Well, um, they have to sign an agreement a or a waiver. Are we going to go into a system where we're not going to treat you and your smash melon because you didn't have a helmet on because of your religious beliefs? I just think this leads to a lot more problems and it leads to solving problems. Well, I, old school seems to be uh, the last principled politician in the province is sitting right <laughs> across from us here. L- look, I, you know, it's going to be very difficult to get insurance for, from, a, from a company if you're not wearing a helmet. I think that's going to be a deterrent. Uh, I think there's no question that this is about uh, pandering, uh, but at least it's not a billion-dollar gas plant pandering, right? You know, this is this is payoff to uh, you know a group that was very important. I believe it was Brampton South, uh, and uh, that's what this is. Which I'm not excusing it, but that's clearly what this is. All right, nothing more, nothing less. I want to come back on another safety issue. We've got Toronto police officers who are going to have to stay off the legalized pot for. A 28-day window. Does that seem about appropriate? We'll find out with our roundtable discussion panel here. Peggy Nash, Ernie Eves, John Turley-Ewart on The Oakley Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.